When you are four years old, you get stuck in this educational system that doesn't focus on being practical at all. It focuses on reproduction and it keeps on focusing on reproduction. For me, it's not about learner-centered. The word that I love to use is that it's about growth. It's logical that with everything that you want to tell them, they ask, why are you telling me this? Because what these kids know is that there is far more knowledge on the web than this teacher has. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we are in collaboration with Intrepid Ed News. Today's guest is Rob Rubin. Rob is an educational leader, change maker, change creator, and public speaker. In 2015, he got involved with Agora, a secondary school that just started. And with five colleagues and 60 students, they started working on a government-funded secondary school without using timetables, courses, or age groups. They teach students to manage their own learning process, starting with a simple question. What do you want to make, do, or learn today? And whatever the answer is, they go from there. And at the moment, there are 20 Agora schools in the Netherlands and Belgium. I'm so excited about this conversation with Rob. He is one of the educational leaders that we have talked to, and we interweave that with folks from the world of regeneration living systems. Rob really shows that there is a different way, different values, and in many ways, a different system, because what they have done is broken the rules, and they've created their own rules, and it's okay. And it's a way to understand that things don't have to be the way they are. The conversation that you'll hear has a lot of meta issues, bigger issues about education, but all of practical issues as well. And we delve into what life is like at Agora. In the meantime, or afterwards, please check us out on www.coconut-thinking.design. You'll find blogs, resources, webinars, and many things, hopefully, that you'll find interesting. Check us out, www.coconut-thinking.design, and I'll leave space for my conversation with Rob. Hi, Rob. I'm so excited to have you on uh, our podcast. Uh, Agora has had quite a bit of press over the last couple of years. People have been talking about it, but I don't necessarily feel that there has been so much space for deeper conversations about this, or maybe there has, and uh, maybe you can add to that. But I'd certainly love to get more of your views on learning, uh, on, on Agora, what, the, what, what happens there, and, and really just to get to feel about you know how, how the kids are thriving, how the people are thriving, the community, and just to let you know that story as well, but also to get to know a little bit more about you uh, and how you fit into the whole picture, not just of Agora, but, but beyond that. So the first question I'll ask you is, who are you and what story would you like to tell? Well, of course, I'm Rob. Thanks for having me, by the way. And um, what story do I want to tell? Well, first of all, you are also asking about me personally, so that makes me telling stories more easy. And I can tell you that I was quite unhappy as a student. I felt left out. And they even told me that I was behind while everybody knew I wasn't. And um, so that made me stick in education, stay in education, but also for one reason, to change it. Because what I saw was that there is a, are a lot of people unhappy in education. And I think there is a lot of people who think they got a lot out of it. But when they really face facts, they didn't. They got a lot out of themselves, not because of education, but just of because they got older and wiser and paid more attention. So, um, so I thought, why not do it the other way around? What, what would happen if education gets older, when education gets wiser, when they pay more attention? 
And with paying more attention, I mean listening to the customer. What does the customer need? Not what does education need? And um, so I, I'm, I'm focused on that transition. I've got to get on a couple of the strings already that, that, you've, that you've put out there. But the first question I'll ask you is, and this is the question we ask of all our listeners, how do you define learning? Yeah, well, I believe that's, that's, that's like the broadest question you could ask. Because are we talking about learning or are we talking about remembering? I think in education, it's a lot about remembering. And the goal of remembering, in my opinion, is that you are being able to store information, reproduce it, and as we all know, forget it in time. So, so the effect of learning, in my opinion, is being able to, to use what you have remembered. And that's, that doesn't necessarily uh, have to be in a reproductive way. I think we all uh, can live by the law, but we don't remember it. So is it necessary that I can use the information or is it necessary that I can reproduce the information? I think using the information is more important than reproducing the information. Nobody can reproduce the full Dutch law or the full American law, but we can live by it. So, and I should think that education should be focusing more on the effect of learning instead of on reproducement itself. When you say effect of learning, go a little bit deeper into that. What, what do you mean by effect and how is that, how is that witnessed? Let's, let's talk about a big problem that we have in, in Europe at the moment. What, what we see in Europe is that we don't have any people who want to do practical jobs anymore. Technicians, we have a big shortage of tec 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 technicians. Well, we should ask ourselves, why is that? And there is, in my opinion, a quite simple explanation for that. When you are four years old, you get stuck in this educational system that doesn't focus on being practical at all. It focuses on reproduction and it keeps on focusing on reproduction until you are like 14 years old. And only then you can choose to spend 10 or 15 hours at school on practical jobs. So you have been in this commercial from, from age four up until age 14. And this commercial told you that theoretical study is the most important stuff. And after that li lifelong commercial, because you're 14, so that is a lifelong commercial. Then somebody asks you, are you interested in doing something pra practical? Well, of course, everybody says no because they believe that that is unimportant. Well, that's a big education mistake. And also a big social mistake too, because that absolutely makes, you know, a lot, a lot hierarchy, elitism, all those things that make it that white collar jobs are, are seen as more important than, than technical jobs. Absolutely, and for totally the wrong reasons. So it's not only uh, uh, weakening children's minds, it's not only weakening people, it's not only uh, segregation, it is very inefficient. I keep thinking also about uh, Michael Sandel, the meritocratic trap, and this idea that, uh, just like you say, it is a form of segregation. He says that uh, 
Uh, this whole idea, this the, the meritocracy, this whole idea of having diplomas is the last acceptable form of discrimination, social discrimination, uh, because you are more worthy because the piece of paper on your wall says one thing and mine may say something else or I might not have a piece of paper there. How do you see this in terms of being beyond the problems of, of education? How, how do you see this as, as being more of a social issue or, or the, the role that education plays there? And specifically, then we'll kind of transition over into how this might change and it's a big question again so we'll, we'll take it slowly yeah yeah and help me through it yeah of course <laughs> um so so what i think um of what i'm seeing and what we all know is that the the the, the knowledge we have in general it increased in a in an exponential speed in in the last decades in the last century and, and because of that we have more wisdom and we have more knowledge but what we also see is that education couldn't keep up we couldn't we were aware of all that knowledge but we couldn't get it into our system we couldn't use all that knowledge at once and and that's for me it, it's totally total logic because we need to prepare kids for the world so if you are a dentist you only have to keep up with what's happening in your zone of expertise but if you want to prepare kids for the world, then you have to keep up with all these zones of expertise. So what, so what I believe is that as soon as education realizes that, what I see is that they start to uh, develop new courses and invent new courses. Um, I think that's a bad thing because the world isn't divided in courses. So what do you see then? Then you see that other people are going to say, but if we have to spend time on that course, we don't have any time for that course. And, and do I, as a teacher, have to know everything? And that describes the problem for me. Do I, as a teacher, have to know everything? Because the answer is no. There is no person in the world who has to know everything. We have to help people coping with information, coping with knowledge. And it shouldn't be about reproducing that knowledge it should be about using it in the proper manner and and that is a transition that we need to make in education to keep up with what is happening around us in the world because if we keep doing it like this we already know that we're not keeping up it's going to get worse and it, 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 the, the strange thing is that that i believe that it is worse than we admit because, and that's because we can't, we can't have this helicopter perspective on it anymore. Because that, that education that developed in a, in a very slow manner in the last 200 years. So everybody is used to it. So everybody feels okay with it. You know, it's like in the Netherlands, if, if you start talking about football, everybody has an opinion because everybody's done it. So they have a perspective on it but they're not a professional in it and they still have an opinion. And I think that is also what happened with education. We, we, we are part of it. You know, for instance, becoming a teacher, there is no occupation that has a bigger commercial than becoming a teacher. How often do you see a commercial about becoming a cop? Then? But when you go to school, you have a commercial, it starts at eight in the morning and it takes to four in the afternoon. Day in, day out, day in, day out. So everybody has a very narrow perspective on what a teacher should do. And, and 
Unfortunately, the, the worst thing is that people who love that commercial and love that way of knowledge transfer become teachers. So that, that, that makes developing the role of a teacher far more difficult. I, I, I can't reproduce the name of the study. I have to look it up. But they've done a study in Denmark on the effect of the teacher's academy. And what they saw was that new teach, um, so wannabe teachers, students came in. In, that new, in the teachers' academy, they, used, they, they gave them a lot of knowledge and ways on how to teach and very open-minded. And then the teachers' academy stopped and they just fell back into what they saw in the commercial. So it's, it's really, it's, it's in our system. We, it's not like switching a button. And that's assuming, of course, that those teaching academy even do push in different ways of, uh, of teaching, which isn't always the case. Yeah, but in this, in this study, it was the Teachers Academy who was pushing them towards other directions and showing them the world of what education could look like. So, so one of the things you know, I've been thinking about, I'd love to hear your views on this, is uh, you know, with the pandemic and people being online, it's, you know, what's great is you can have two screens. You can have one screen with, uh, with your teacher and then the other screen with what you actually want to be listening to. And uh, you know, turn down the volume on your teacher. It's, you know, that's, that's the dream that we probably had, just to put it on mute. Uh, so, so kids are able to do this and, and, and watch what they want to watch. And then it got me thinking a bit that, you know, as you said, nobody can know everything, but one thing that you can do and that we all do as adults, and this is where there's, there's a hypocrisy there, is whenever I don't know something, I just go on YouTube. And YouTube is the greatest place in the world to find out anything. So would it be possible to just completely change the role of a teacher and to have it be more of a guide in terms of working with a situation of abundance of information rather than scarcity and just say, hey, we're gonna unleash you on the internet and, and my job is to help you understand what might be useful or not, because let's face it, you're doing it anyway. We're just going to make sure that you are not just, of course, safe, but finding the best thing for what you personally want to learn about and, and, and so forth. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly what we try to do at Agra. So, so what we try to do in Agra, we, we, we say to people, we only have to open up the world. And, you know, um, we have, in, in not far from where I am, we have this, and in our school, we have it as well. We have this rock climbing wall. You know, and when you see kids doing that rock climbing, of course, of course, there is somebody downstairs holding the rope, you know, but these kids go up the wall and that guy who is holding the rope doesn't have to say anything. They just go up and, and some kids, they stop at a certain height because they feel like they are, they are getting scared or they don't know what to do, but they know exactly what to do because what they do at that moment is hold on tight and call down and ask the teacher who's down, down there, what am, how am I, am I going to get out of this mess? So if, you let, if, if we let these kids walk in front of us instead of following us, they will come in trouble and they will ask for advice. And, and that's what we need to learn then, to, not to stay out of trouble, but to get into trouble and get out of it as well and be wiser because of it. And, and trouble is, of course, in, in the best way that you can imagine. So finding lots of information which you're interested in and, and don't know how to cope at all and need assistance with that. that that's what I need with, mean with trouble. And, and not only uh, information, but also I want to build something. I want to make something. You know, I, I want to know how the engine of a car works, not by reading books, but by 
getting an engine here and start start uh, cleaning it and stuff like that. And that's getting into trouble. And we should let them enjoy that trouble. So I'm going to pick you up on something that you said early on, and this will this will help us segue, I think, into learning a bit more about about Agora School. And that is, um, you mentioned about knowing what what the customer wants and asking them, and 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 of course uh, letting them letting them go first. Now, if we're going to take this word learner centered, which frankly gets thrown around a lot, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about the continuum of what that word might mean. Um, Learner-centered, you know, personalization, all these wonderful things that people use, which which can be anything from 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 Khan Academy, right? How does how just how wide is that continuum, and where do you see true learner-centered, or is it even something that we should go beyond and think about even using other terms, or or what are what is your concept of of the situation? Yeah, so so two things immediately come to mind when, when you start talking about it. First of all, for me, it's not about learner-centered. Um, because um, the kids, um, well, first, it's, for me, it's not about learner-centered. The word that I love to use is that it's about growth. And when it is, uh, because if it's about learner-centered, what I've saw with my staff, because we, of course we get new staff members every year, and, and they have, and when they come in at first, they believe that kids rule in our school. And of course we give them the feeling that they rule and that it's all about them. But I am the wise guidance, you know? I am that wise guy. And that wise guy knows that a, that a 12 year old's brain isn't fully developed. So I have to keep him in charge, but he's not in charge because he's not wise enough. He has to learn the fact that he needs wise men and women around him. And that can be elder women and men, but it also can be classmates or other students. And what they are doing is helping him grow. So what we should be looking for are growth opportunities. And what is a growth opportunity? For me, a growth opportunity is not in, in people's comfort zone, or outside people's comfort zone, but it is in that stretch zone, you know? There is that one topic I love, and I love to stretch into that. Okay, that is a growth opportunity. So for instance, um, I had these children that want to know everything about the Great Barrier Reef, but they weren't doing anything about languages. Well, that was the big growth opportunity that I saw as a guidance, as a guidance for that uh, student, because, as soon as they asked ask me questions about the Great Barrier Reef, I've told them, where are the specialists about the Great Barrier Reef? And they said, Australia. And I said, okay, if you want to proceed with this quest, with this challenge, you have to find an expert in Australia. So what I really said was, you have to learn English. So, and that's the difference for me. Uh, um, a lot of people who start with us and they think it's learner-centered, they believe that when a kid comes to ask you questions about the Great Barrier Reef, that we have to do anything to get them answers within their comfort zone about the Great Barrier Reef. Well, that's not about growth. If it is about growth, you as a guide put in something extra. You, you see where they are excited about and make them even more excited about something. Else. That's something they also need. 
and, and to build this kind of this kind of a, a mosaic that that starts maybe in one place and then builds out for a complete picture. Exactly, and and and, and not all, and and which makes them social networks because they have they, there is a very simple I believe very simple thing about learning is that for for starters you can't do it on your own you always have to reflect with other people and most of the times it's more fun when you learn with other people and there are a couple of reasons to to study in private for an hour or two hours but then you need something else because if you're only studying in private uh, you're not getting that that yes i've done it experience that you only get that when you can talk about what you've been studying with other people you know delivering some proof. Uh, so I'm not talking about testing. I'm talking about enjoying what you learn together. And, and that's showing off your growth. So, so there's, there's three, three different lines that people who might be listening would, would, would ask. Uh, one, one of them, you know, what, what you said was so descriptive. The idea that, that, I, that I came or, or the, the thought that came is many discussions that I've had saying, well, if you let kids... Uh, uh, study what they want. Yeah, it's fantastic in theory, but then of course uh, they they don't know what they don't know. So it's our job to tell them what that we don't know. But what you're saying is different because it, those things that they don't know, you're connecting it to to something that they're interested about, and you're giving them reason to rather than oh well, I don't know anything about chemistry, so maybe I might enjoy it or something like that. Exactly, exactly. Because so there is this this great professor in the Netherlands, Fred Janssen. And, and Fred Janssen has been working on learning, learning by learning perspectives for the last 15, 20 years. I didn't know. I only met him like, like two years ago or something like that. And um, what the great way about that is that he has this, um, this method that he has divided, well, I would almost say the world, <laughs> into 20 perspectives. So, for instance, one perspective would be a durability perspective. One perspective would be social perspective. One perspective would be mathematical perspective uh, and stuff like that. So I, I even have them here. And uh, so, so one would be a life perspective. Uh, one would be health perspective, money perspective. So, and you can open up the world with, for, with, uh, with kids in a great way with it. So, for instance, kids have... Uh, a topic, for instance, well, I'm holding a, a glass with water at the moment. They want to know everything about the glass, how it's made. What, what. And what we do then is we tell them, collect three other kids, and we give them these 20 perspectives, only the names of the perspectives, on a blank piece of paper. And we ask all the kids, okay, have a look at a perspective and think of a, of a question that connects with the glass. So, for instance, if you go to a mathematical perspective, you could ask, how much water can I put in the glass? Uh, when you go to a designer's perspective, how is the why is the glass shaped like it is shaped? When you go to a scientific perspective, well, kids come up with all these questions just because we gave them the perspectives. And we gave them the perspectives, and they think of the questions, and then the original owner of the challenge he can just say, oh, that's great. I haven't, I never thought of that question. I never thought about a social question about glass, but now I have a social question and I want to answer that as well. I want to incorporate that in my challenge. So 
Uh, and the great thing about this as well is that starting like that, for instance, the mathematical perspective, suppose somebody want, wants to know how much water can fit into the glass. Well, if that is a question that is uh, the right question for you to answer, then you, uh, as a kid, you can go to somebody who's responsible for the mathematics in our school. And he can have, a, and he knows that kid, of course. And as a math teacher, you can do two things now. You can give this kid a measuring cup because he doesn't have a lot of experience with mathematics yet. And then at, with that measuring cup, you can see that it is like 0.2 liters and that 0.2 liters is like cubic centimeters or a certain amount of cubic decimeters or whatever. But if this kid is, is further along the mathematical route, this mathematical teacher will know it as well. And he will tell that kid, well, you have to calculate how much water can, uh, can get in there. Look that up, how much water? And then that kid would ask, well, how do I look that up? And then that math teacher could say, well, this is a cylinder. I'm not gonna tell you the formula, but this is a cylinder. Look it up, find it out. And if this kid isn't that far ahead in, in mathematics, he can, as a math teacher, can come up with the formula himself and say, well, let's do an example. So that is a total different way on approaching exactly the same topics as we, we need to teach kids as well. You know, we need to teach the kids all these topics, but this approach is totally different. But I'm say, how, how are people going to come together with, with this deep-seated belief that kids have to follow a curriculum and have to know certain things? And if you give them this ability to ask questions and investigate things on their own, then they're not going to know what they need to know in order to succeed at university. Well, of course, we have to ask ourselves, why is the curriculum um, like it is today? Why is that? And um, so if we look back in how education developed, uh, and I want to go far back because we are not, we are called Agra for a reason. That's because of that old square in the middle of Athens. Well, if you go back to, to that period or to middle, medieval periods, what you saw then was that there were two ways to get an education. The first way was that you were the daughter of the king. Oh, and then you uh, get a personal, uh, personal teacher into your house, well, they didn't have a house, they had the castle, of course, but uh, get a, and they would prepare you for your role in the future. And in those times, you didn't have anything to say or to debate about what that role would be or about what they would teach you. You didn't have to ask, why are you teaching me this? Because the answer would be, you are becoming the queen, you are becoming the king, you have to know it. Um, in, in the same period, we also had this for the very poor, because some of those very poor, they had to become their father, that would mean staying in slavery or, or whatever, or uh, they were in luck and they would become a carpenter and they could go and start, uh, have a look at the profession there and, and work themselves up. So nobody was, if you ask, why do I need to learn this? Well, you was, you were, that was, a, 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 you shouldn't even have to ask that question because you have this role in life. That's why we're not using it. Well, at the moment, what we are trying to do in society is giving everybody equal opportunities. If that also means that everybody has to do the same studying and has to have the same basic knowledge, 
then you can expect the question, why do I need to learn this a lot? Because these kids don't, there is no preset goal. They don't have to become the king. They don't have to become the cock. So it's logical that with everything that you want to tell them, they ask, why are you telling me this? Because what these kids know is that there is far more knowledge on the web than this teacher has. And we all know that these kids are what we call distracted. Well, they're not distracted. They are looking for what they want to do in life. And they can also, they can only do it within their comfort zone. So that means gaming, chatting with other students, etc. So what we need to teach these kids is getting out of that comfort zone, in these stretch zones, using the skills they have, because they are social. They aren't getting less social because of the internet. My daughter talks more with, 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 with uh, kids of her age than I did when I was at home on my own. So we have to use these, these, these things to open the world up. And then we have a debate on what is um, basic knowledge. And for me, at the moment, we are, as, as a world, we are really into equality. And because we are into equality, we think that everybody has to learn the same things. And then kids protest because they don't want to learn the same things. They know what they like to learn and what they're good at. And they know that they don't, aren't able to cope with everything. So I, I think that is also one of these things that we got into in the last century and a half. We are too much focused on equality, too much. And, and that's, uh, education started, be, well, not education, but school started because of equality, of course. We, we, we started to educate, education started by giving everybody the same opportunities to learn to write. Well, that's a very important skill. But within that belief of, uh, within, within that first goal of education, getting all kids into school, we overdone it. We made everybody equal. And everybody knows that they are unequal. Everybody knows that everybody has different uh, uh, um, wishes, different directions in which they want to grow. But in a school, that's not allowed. Because there's standards, standardization, having to get people on age-related measures and so forth. I mean, the, the whole thing values all, all, this, all this equality. Yeah, and, and, and then we have the curriculum because that, that curriculum is, is we, what we are trying to do is keep curriculum, not only keep all the new stuff in the curriculum, but also keep the basis that we had in there in the 1920s. So, so how big do we want their heads to grow? Young Zhao said that the problem with education is that kids were alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and well, and 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 that's a strange thing because compare it with other, other with other things. Force feeding doesn't make your belly bigger. <laughs> Guide us through what a day of uh, of a kid walking into school at Agora looks like. Like, help us imagine that. Yep. Um, first of all. Um, Kids, uh, when they come for the first time, they have to be in at nine and they can leave at three o'clock. So when they come in at first, they will experience that. We will ask them the simple question, 
what do you want to make, do or learn? Because if you want to make something, you're definitely going to do something. You're definitely going to learn something. And you have a product at the end. So that means you can be proud. And when you develop a product, you have something that you can present to other people. So you can also spread your knowledge and wisdoms and skills because a product is about skills. It's not necessarily about and um, then uh, they're going to work on that, of course. They're going to figure out what they want to do. We help them with that. And, and at 10.45, after the first 15 minutes break, we have what we call um, the day moment. That means that you are, as a kid, within your coach group, that is a group between like 12 and 18 kids with one coach, your personal coach. And... Um, you will, uh, that, that's every day and it takes half an hour. And that's this half an hour could, could be about everything. But what we, we try to do in there is uh, anticipating to what's happening in the world. If, if, if the war in Ukraine broke out yesterday, of course, we have to talk about this as a group. If, if something stressful, well, there isn't something more stressful in the news at the moment, but uh, if, if, if there is, something in the Netherlands going on, like, like uh, uh, at the ministry or whatever, and somebody pops a question about that, we have to talk about it. If we feel that, there, that we have to do socializing stuff within the group, we do that. Uh, if, um, of course, also every once in a while we share what we are, because everybody is working on projects and challenges. And of course they need to share where they are, what they are doing. Because when you share what you're doing, other people can anticipate and say, hey, I know somebody who can help you. And so that is the, that day moment. And so it's also team building as a group. Uh, and then after that, that one, they can go back, work on their challenges, be creative, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then we have like a lunch break, takes half an hour. And after that lunch break, we have half an hour of silence. And everybody is reading then. Of course, at first, kids come in and they say, I don't like reading. Okay, then you sit there. And I will tell you, when you sit there three days on a row, half an hour in silence, you start reading. You start realizing that it helps uh, if you read something, for instance, that is important for your challenges. So they start reading and they start appreciating reading. Uh, and that's a half hour of silence. And then they go back working on their challenges. And of course, we also have, uh, well, how you call this in English, uh, uh, sports activities. And um, we do that also totally different than any other school I, I know, because all our children can, can choose what sports activities they want to do. And we don't make age groups there. So if you choose basketball, it could be that you are uh, age 12 and come to basketball and are working together with somebody who is age 17. And I can tell you that that doesn't matter at all because you both chose for basketball and you have that passion. And it's way more fun to sport with people who have passion for the sport than to do a sport with people who don't have a passion. So what you see is sharing a passion is more important as sharing a date of manufacture. And, and I believe that's not only so with sports, but that, that, that is also what we see when they work on their challenges. 
because we have kids age 18 working on challenges with kids of age 13 or 14. And they work together and they assist each other. And that's because they have the same passion. And they can see that they can benefit from somebody else's passion. And of course, if you benefit from that passion, you also have to give something back. And so that's what we do on a, on a daily basis. And of course, they then can also get people in to help them with, with uh, open up their minds or working on their challenges. And that's what we call inspirational sessions. And because and these people aren't always available between nine and three. So our kids, when they are with us for a while, they get like their own schedule. And as long as they are come in before 10.45, because then we have the day moment, and aren't leaving before that half hour of silence, then it's okay for us if they make enough hours on that day, you know? So if they are getting advanced in this and they can really go to a challenge and uh, keep a good calendar, if they are able to do that and, and do what they say they're going to do, well, then they just come in between 8 in the morning and 10.45 and leave between 1.30 and, and 5 o'clock. And so if they're working on their challenge and they want to find out more information, they seek out... Uh, an, an, an older person then within the school and, and have them work on that? What happens, for instance, if that person's busy? I mean, I know these are like little questions, but I'm just trying to get a feel for it. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the same thing what we have done, Benjamin. I've been busy for the, for the full week. You had to wait till today. So what did you do? Did you wait it the whole week or did you do something else? I waited for you, of course. Yes, yeah, well, here. <laughs> and, and of course, that would be the first reaction of a 12-year-old who enters a school. They would say, well, I'm going to wait up until Friday because I can't do anything else. That's right. And then we're going to learn him how you can have tasks within a challenge. And that this person that you can only meet on Friday is just part of one of the tasks. So you can work on another task within your challenge. And, and that's, that's lifelong long learning lessons. And that's far more important. And what what you do actually, I'm sure everyone who's listening, and certainly me, always we come in with with a lot of these kids, and oftentimes adults too. Let's face it, who say, "Well, I, you know, he didn't respond to my email, or he wasn't there, so I, I just I, I just yeah. stopped doing yeah. it." And like, hold on a second, yeah. if we really want to, you know, get like problem solving at its most basic, figure something else out. And if you can't do that, then yeah, work on work on learning English because you're learning about the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. Exactly. I see it both ways. I see children who send emails to people and then say, well, I'm waiting to, for his response. And they wait for like a week or two weeks. And the first time, I just let them wait for two weeks. And then tell them, well, did it, did it work out for you? And they say, no. And I say, so how are you going to handle this the next time? So, and then they come up with other stuff. They, 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 because writing an email, that's like one of the most important things that if you want to reach out, you have to sell yourself. You have to make yourself important for a strange person to respond to your email. You, you can't just write, hi, I'm Rob, I'm 12. I want to know everything about the Great Barrier Reef. Can, can I talk to you, professor, in the... <laughs> uh, I, and then expect that he responds. Of course he doesn't respond. I, I had this boy and he, he was great. I, I don't know what topic it was about. 
I, I, I don't remember the topic anymore. But um, I had to discover this at first as well. So at a certain point, I started to say to my students, if you want to send an email, let me check it first for you. And he did this email. Yeah, I'm hi, I'm Fred, whoever, you know, I'm a boy, 12 year old. I want to know everything about what, oh yeah, archaeology, that was it was. He wanted to know everything about archaeology. So that was his email. Dear professor, I'm Harry. I want to know everything about um, archaeology. Can I come and visit you? So when I asked him, why should, how many of these emails do you think this professor gets? And he, he said, well, I, I think he gets hundreds of emails like this. Well, I, I didn't uh, want to affect his, his opinion about how of the importance of, of archaeology and how many other kids were seeing that importance. So I said, yeah, let's suppose he, he gets like 100 emails like this. Why would he respond to yours? And that ended up with this kid studying the website of the museum where the professor was working and studying other websites of other museums. And he came to the conclusion that the website of the museum of this professor didn't have a department for kids in primary education. So what he did is he wrote him an email and he said, I'm totally into archaeology. These are all the, the, the presentations and my work on archaeology I've did in the last year. And he sent them all the documents. And he said to him, and what came to my, what I noticed is that you don't have this department on your website. And this museum in the Netherlands has that. 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 And that is, I want to help you with that because I'm within that age group. And I know how you can address these kids. So can I please come over for a day? Within three days, he was able to go. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's absolutely beautiful. And 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 again, so many adults don't no. do that either. So many adults who are doing whatever they need something, their jobs to get I me. Mean, how many emails do we get from people saying, "Hey, I've got this great thing. Oh, thank yeah. you, delete." Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so what we need to do, we, we, we have only have, we have like, we make, we need to make the job of a school small. We have to focus on making them lifelong learners. Because if you see these kids, they are like 20 years in school and 80 years outside school. And it shouldn't be necessary to come back in if you want to learn something new. And what we see, I, I, I think we, we, both of us, is that we, we've done school and then we came into an occupation and then we started learning. And then we started learning how to learn when you're not in school anymore. Well, that's ridiculous. That's not preparing kids for the world or for life. That's preparing kids to be in a system. That's absolutely right. And how many adults would even sit through a meeting they, 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 you know, or, or sit through things that they find boring? They, they just don't. And they just don't. It's, it's, it's not... It's, it's just not right. I mean, on so many levels. Well, we're not discovering exciting things because everything already has been discovered. Uh, and, but we are learning new things. We are growing based on, on what we have, uh, what, what other people discovered and what we came up with. And, and that is very exciting to, to grow into this. And, and so what I'm, what I'm doing as well at the moment, um, 
when I started at Agora in 2015 and we started with a small group of people. And when you are with a small group of people, well, it's, it's quite, well, I won't say it's easy, but yeah, well, I'm going to say it. It's, with a small group, it's easy to do something. New. But when you want to grow it and teach other people how to do it, well, then another difficulty, difficulty comes in. And, and that's what I'm doing at the moment. So um, at the moment within my school, I'm responsible. I'm getting more responsible for uh, uh, sharing the knowledge. And, um, but also making a great, establishing a, a, a knowledge base. So what I'm trying to do is I'm working myself outside the school, out of the school. I really want to be out of the school within the next couple of years. And, uh, and leaving it so everybody can grow on it. And the big benefit of me going, growing out of the school would be that I can really focus more on even on helping other people to get into this mindset and help the, their system and their schools and their organization grow as well. Getting into that grow mode, you know? So I'm making that transition at the moment and I, I'm very excited. Because, we, you know, every, everybody can tell the janitor how many shares there have to be in the main atrium, you know? I don't have to do that. I, I want to... A lot of people reach out to me and I finally want to be able to, to help all these people instead of just run the school where I'm in. And so would that be in terms of a consultancy, in terms of that be just, uh, you know, what, like what, what would that necessarily look like? Yeah, well... It, 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 ha it has to be international because there are so many people from all over the world and schools as well, schools, governments, uh, 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 institutes who, who connect with me, who ask me, how can we do this? And I don't want them to become agros. I just want to help them to, to get into that grow mode, you know? So uh, um, to develop their schools or their in, in, uh, institutes, into that next phase and instead of I, to say it in short i want to help them to do their last transformation i think there is a transformation necessary in education at the moment well i've, I've been talking about that up till now but it should be our last transformation because we should transfer into a system and a way of working that everybody who is involved is in a grow learning mode and if you are in a grow learning mode, you can, and, and you can anticipate to new stuff and incorporate that in what you are doing. And that means that in the future, there wouldn't be that big gap that needs the transformation anymore. So, and I'm, I'm, I want to be, I want to help other schools in consultancy or whatever uh, in, in, uh, to make that step. Because uh, we've been talking a lot about students, but there is no difference between students and teachers. We, we, we should stop talking about what we do with students. We should only use one word if it's up to me. We should only call everybody learners. And it's all about what we learn on a day-to-day -day basis, being completely honest about that. And that is from the student in the school, up to the janitor, up to the principal, Everybody should be and not thinking in these groups, but just thinking about the principles of learning and how do I help people to be lifelong learners and how am I a lifelong learner? Because I have to lead by example. I have to show off what I'm learning on a day-to-day -day basis. 
And, and that's also how I need to treat my staff because I, if I don't treat my staff that way, I shouldn't expect that they treat kids in a different way. You know, I've, I've, I've been at schools to, to, uh, for consultancy stuff and um, these, these principals, they say to me, well, I give my staff all the opportunities to do personalized education, but they just don't. And then I'm gonna to talk to the teachers and the teachers say, well, I, um, I'm a mathematics teacher. I have to do at least five tests a month because my principal, he has to look at the sheet, you know, <laughs> and he, he only looks at the numbers. Well, if you do that as a principal, you're sending out the wrong message. It's, it's never gonna change. So what we really need to accept is that if we want to change the student-teacher relation, we also have to change all the other relations within the school system. And that's a big job. Not just the people inside the school, but the people within the community, the, the, the families, the people coming in, they have to be yeah, learners too. And it becomes a whole system beyond the classroom, beyond the school walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with, you know, the, the, I always say there is a big, the, of course, uh, that, that uh, um, People are in a divorce when your parents are in a divorce. That's always a terrible uh, situation. But for schools, there is also a big benefit. Because an average student has three parents at the moment. Those are three people within your network who want to help you as a school. And we should learn to use that. We should help them to be in that learning mode. And we also have to know that we have to open their minds up as well for this new type of education. And we don't, it's totally logical that these people don't know why we're changing it because they, these people have been in this school commercial between age four and age 20 as well. So they, they are like experts because they all done it between age four and 20. So if we want to change it, we have to help them remember uh, why it has to change. And we have to keep, do that slowly with them as well. And we shouldn't be surprised or we shouldn't be insulted if it looks like they don't get it. It's totally logical that they don't get it. That's, that's as logical as that I don't know anything about being a dentist. And I went to a dentist every half year of my whole life, you know? Listen, Rob, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate all your insights and, and the stories and really how you also took a lot of theory and, and showed um, how that would look really or how that does look and, and, and telling the story of, uh, of, of what it looks like at Agora and, and, and some of the, the ideas behind it. Um, and, and also what, what I'm gathering from this is um, it, it just feels like it's not something that is so far off because that's how adults are, just like you said, because we finally learn after we're done with school. And so that connection to the classroom or beyond the classroom sh should really be something that, that is felt and, and, and empathized with. Um, so, so, I, so I appreciate that. It, and, and hopefully it'll, it'll continue to keep the conversation going and, and, and moving in that direction as we say, hey, we can't do it this way. Benjamin, maybe some, some last, uh, last words. I'm, I'm, I just was, well, I also try to write a lot despite the fact that I'm dyslectic. I'm just like, I'm gonna write. And I was writing something last week. And so I believe what we are doing is going back to nature. So, and why are we going back to nature? I wanted to get into that or find an analogy for it. 
So I've, I've told myself what I want to teach people is that, that organizations, staff, students, parents, networks, we should be like plants, trees, seaweeds, and weeds. Plants, because they want to grow by nature, everybody knows that. Grading a plant doesn't help them grow. Pulling a plant doesn't make it longer. Um, we have to facilitate perfect circumstances for that plant to grow. And that is what will make the difference. So that is why we have to treat everybody like plants. Trees, well, because of course, we should help everybody to reach for the stars. Aim high. Uh, seaweed, because it's very flexible. It can go with the flow. It can go with the time. It, it does what the zeitgeist asks. That, that's how we should look at education and uh, about growth as well. And of course, we should be weeds, because weeds are very strong. It's, it's just tough to get rid of them. You don't destroy them. And what I also see at weeds is that they, can, they work together. They connect. They collaborate. So that's also essential. And uh, lately, I also came up to this theory about fungi. Do you know how fungi, how they, and that's also great because that is what we also need in this learning environment. We need fungi because fungi connects all these trees, plants, and everything. And what they do is that when, when a tree, for instance, has an access on, on, on something, then fungi pulls it out of that tree and gives it to another tree who doesn't have an access on it. And, and that is how we should depreciate our knowledge, our skills, help each other, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's going back to nature. And it's going back to that lifelong learning mentality. That, and what we all know is that one plant, well, it can be pretty on its own, but it's far more pretty when it forms a big forest with other plants and trees, et cetera. And, and, and that's how I look at, at the future. And that's how we should, can learn together and have a passion for each other. So we work together and, and, and that's how we can stand the test of time together. Live in the zeitgeist, answer to the zeitgeist, anticipate it. Well, I mean, anyone who's listened to our podcast and read our stuff knows that what you just did is just like sing in my ears about the, the connection with nature and going back to the, the ways we used to do things not so long ago about knowing uh, our, who our learners are, knowing who the community was, giving learners what they wanted, and, and yeah, realizing that we're not different from nature, that, that we are holes in, within a living system that is nature, absolutely, and helping each other, growing, biodiversity rather than putting trees in a in a line. I bet you if, if we look out the window in, in any city in Europe, the trees are lined up in a row, those poor trees. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and it makes it boring. <laughs> It makes it boring, absolutely, and 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 they're all fenced, and so so I appreciate that. I love I love those um, th those uh, th those th those four analogies. I love it, Rob. I, I wish we could continue. I'm sensitive with your time, so I I'm, I wish we could continue. I feel like we have uh, we we could go on a lot here. Uh, but listen, thank you so much, and I look forward to hearing more. And and, and as the things develop in the next few years for you as well, um, is there is there a way people can get a hold of you if uh, so? You should wish them too. Well, I I have. I have a personal website, uh, robhuber.com. So that would be the easiest way. <laughs> I'm, and I'm, uh, of course, when this podcast is finished, I'm going to put a link on that uh, website to it. Yeah, that, uh, that would be great. So, uh, yeah. So what I'm, I've, uh, I'm trying to do with that website is because I get a lot of questions from abroad. So I 
decided, let's just make an English website, put everything on there. And that saves me a lot of time and people can still connect. And then I can see, okay, this is not on the website. I'm going to do that outside of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. We are in collaboration with Intrepida News. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on www.coconut-thinking.design. We've got blogs there, more podcasts, uh, conference speeches, a whole bunch of stuff, as well as resources and pointing you in other directions that might be uh, interesting valuable to you. You could also check us out on Intrepida News, www.intrepidednews.com. We've got articles there, and there's a lot of great writers uh, on that site, so it's uh, a real privilege to be there. Again, www.coconut-thinking.design, and uh, leave us your comment, get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye-bye.